Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is everybody this morning? Amen, amen. Would you guys stand with me real quick? We're going to start out with a word of prayer, then I'm going to jump right into it. I was thinking about that song, man. That just puts me in the mood to give, amen? Uh, and God wants us to be blessed, right? Money can't buy everything, but it'll buy you a boat, right? And a truck to pull it, and a Yeti 110. Isn't that kind of how the song goes? I think, I think some people are probably out using their Yeti 110s today, right? Maybe out by the lake. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, God. Welcome into this place, God. We pray that the worship would just continue, God. Let our hearts be turned to you. And everybody says, amen. Amen. You guys can sit down. Today, I want to talk to you from Numbers 13, 30, and then 14 through 11. But we're not going to read all those, so don't worry. We're not going to go into the snooze fest here. I was talking to my wife the other day about some theological stuff, and she goes, oh, snooze, man. She, she didn't want to know about all that stuff. Just get to the meat of it. I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. But let's go ahead and start out with a little bit of scripture. Uh, let's read uh, here. Well, no, let's go. I'm going to start out with a story. Yesterday, uh, I, I went to my grandparents' house. Now, my, grandparent, my, my grandfather passed away about 10 years ago or so, probably maybe 15. And then about two years ago, my grandmother passed away. And it was our job to go up and clean up the house this last weekend. Of course, you can't do all that in one day, things I find out later. <laughs> and uh, my uncle had just moved out of the house yesterday, and, or uh, a couple months ago, and they said, now it's time to clean. So all of us brothers and sisters, and then the kiddos, uh, my, my dad and uh, uncle, all went up there and we started cleaning out. And I thought I had it whipped. I'll be honest with you. This is something unknown to me, but I thought, I've got this, man. I'm going to go up there and start slinging stuff out the door in the trash can, and I'm not going to worry about it. And I don't want anything. It's okay. I love everybody, and we're just going to go up there. And you know what I remember saying two or three times to my family? Wow, this is harder than I thought it was. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. I remember at one point, uh, walking through this unknown situation, I was trying to navigate it. This series really came alive to me yesterday. I remember at one point just going to say, I need a break, and just going to get a bottle of water and sitting on the back of my vehicle and just being away from everybody for about 20 or 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Just learning how to navigate that unknown. So I was there yesterday so, so much, and I'm so grateful for the series that we have. And you guys have endured five weeks, and this will be the kind of the, uh, the closer, if you will. And uh, I just want to shoot right to the altar call if I can. And what I want to tell you today is that it's okay to answer the altar call again. Amen? It's okay. If you've answered it every week for the last five weeks, that's okay. We want you to still do that. Amen? We had an old saying in high school, riding the pine. Anybody know what that means, riding the pine? Pine. Back then, the, the, pine, the benches were made out of pine, and, and sometimes you had to ride on that. I means sometimes you had to sit through ball game after ball game after ball game before you got your experience, or maybe sit through practice and kind of watch the older guys do it, and you would have to take a back seat. And, and I learned as a young man, sometimes I've got to ride the altar. <laughs> if, if there's been times that it didn't matter what the pastor called at the altar call. If it was for a 22-year-old pregnant woman, I was coming down to answer it, man. I just, God was moving. And, you know, I just got him searching for a word, amen. And that's how we can be during the unknown, because it's the unknown. We, we encounter stuff as we go, right? We know more than we did the last time, but there's still brand new things we have to learn. And what I want to share with you today is out of, out of Numbers 13, uh, 30 through 14, 11, and just kind of look at what the leaders were doing as they were trying to navigate this. 
Let's go ahead and start. The first thing is I'll look through that short passage, which I'm not going to read. Would you open up your Bibles to Numbers 13 and 30? And we're going to concentrate on that scripture. The first thing that I noticed that these, that, that these leaders did, Caleb and Joshua and Moses and these other guys, that, that really wanted to push uh, uh, the children of Israel through the unknown into what God had promised them. The first thing that, that, that I see that Caleb did here is he silences the crowd. Sometimes you know you got to silence the crowd, don't you? Sometimes you got to turn off the noise and, and, and keep people from talking. Here in, in, in verse 30, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He knew in his spirit that they could do it, but he had to quieten everybody down and say, Now let's concentrate back on what God has done. It didn't mean that he plucked him out of the situation, that he was going to change it, but he said, Listen, we can take it. Iris Stanfield was a great hymnist. And he's probably most known for There's Room at the Cross for You. His wife, uh, Zella, wrote the story with him. Or Zelma, excuse me. Zelma wrote the story with him. As the story goes, he's called into ministry. Pastors a church. Mary's a wonderful lady. They get together and they're working in the spirit together. And they write, there's room at the cross for you. The essence of the songs in the world, in the words, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's still room at the cross for you. You guys remember that old great hymn? Well, the story goes on that uh, Zelma begins to backslide and she begins to go to nightclubs and singing and these different things. She winds up beginning to seeing other men and then her and her husband have to get a divorce. They have a son named Raymond by this point and he's in the middle of all this and really he takes a lot of credit, uh, criticism. Ira takes a lot of criticism because people are saying, won't you quit? Won't you resign? Get out of the ministry. Yet he's in a circumstance that's not his fault. And he's trying his best to navigate it. <clears throat> Tragedy strikes at 28 years old. Zelma has a head-on collision with a car and, and she passes away. He's got full custody of Raymond and he doesn't know what to do. He's driving down the road one day as the story goes. And he, he's saying, God, where do I go? What do I do? Are you even here? That type of thing. We've all probably had similar conversations, right? Had those similar conversations. And then out of that experience, out of walking through the unknown, out of that experience in the car, he births his next great hymn. I know who holds tomorrow. He was in a situation he didn't ask for. He was dealing with circumstances that he didn't really, didn't know what to do. So he turned to God and God spoke to him. And he said... I want you to write the song, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. And the essence of the words, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. Anybody else been there? But I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. And, and we can learn from, from this short story that it's simple, that God doesn't pluck us out of what he's taken us through. But if we will be silenced, if, we will, if we, will, we will get silent and silence the crowd around us, then God can speak to us. Think of how many thousands of people have heard this song, I know who holds tomorrow, who have walked into a place just like this, who have heard that song, and they begin to realize that there's a better life for me. There's somebody who loves me that will hold my hand, that will walk me through this. Thousands of people could have possibly found salvation out of one man's unknown experience. But it was because he had to silence the crowd. He had to pull back. And this is what I found. Whenever I silence the crowd, I become a confident Christian because I can, I can hear the voice of God and I can hear him direct me. And a confident Christian is a powerful 
Christian because I realize that my confidence, my hope, the power that resides within me is really from my source, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And that I can walk with confidence in. He had to silence the crowd. Now, he, and sometimes we have to, I mean, we have to really lay the hammer down, right? But if we look through Scripture, the pattern would be that we don't always have to do that. Jesus chased out the money changers. We know he got the whip after him, turned over tables. He was pretty, pretty intense. But so many more times we hear that God leans in. Much like salvation, he leans into the world and through a whisper, through a calm voice, he begins to speak to us. That's how he seems to do it. If we think Matthew 14, whenever Peter walks in the water, very familiar story, and it's, a very, it's very unusual because it says that at one point that Jesus is sitting on the shore and he sends them over and he's watching them struggle. He said, you guys go on a cross, I'm going to go pray. And then when he's done praying, the scene picks up that he's on the shore and he's watching this. Of course, we know the story. He steps across the water, and the story goes that it would have passed. That they, he says that he would have passed them by. He wasn't walking on the water to show who he was. He knew who he was. But then they called out to him, and he said these famous words, I am. Fear not, I am. And then Peter, with his big mouth, of course, but hey, now listen to me. Everybody else in the boat was silent. Peter, with this kind of big mouth, if that's really you, God, bid me come or command me to come. Jesus said, all right. Of course, he steps out in the boat. He gets to looking at the storm and begins to sink. And I begin to think about that scripture. I wonder what brought him to that point of sinking. Was it really the storm? Is that it? Or could he have stepped out of the boat and all of a sudden been overwhelmed with what God was doing with him? You know what I mean? Kind of got got, uh, uh, selfish in a way. If he would have gotten caught up more in the miracle than in the Savior. Have you ever done that? We get caught up more in the miracle than we do the Savior. And maybe his eyes missed the Savior. And I was thinking later on in, in 1 Peter 5 and 6. And they believe that the, the, the book of Peter was written by the Apostle Peter. And in 5 and 6 it says this. It says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that, the, uh, that at proper time he will exalt you. And I wonder if whenever Peter was, was transcribing that. We know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If it didn't bring him back to that point at the boat. Because he's sinking. God reaches his hand down and begins to pick Peter up. And begins to refocus himself. Begins to say, let's, let's, we're going to humble you here a little bit, Peter. But, but, it, but it's not because I'm mean. See, I want to exalt you. I want to pick you back up. I want to show you what it's like to walk through the miracle with the Savior. So, so humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And as he makes eye contact with him, I, I would imagine as they're walking back to the boat. See, that's the cool thing about it is, is the miracle doesn't disappear. He still walks on water back to the boat. He's just doing it with Jesus. I think Jesus was trying to teach him, listen, you cannot do this without me. Oh, it's going to be fun for a little while. <laughs> oh, it might even be cool for a second or two. But you better be holding my hand. Because I want to take you to and through the unknown. But don't get caught up in everything else. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I think about Paul and, and the shipwreck on Malta. Very familiar story. The angel appears to Paul and says, Paul, you're, 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 you're going to get shipwrecked. Be ready. And Paul silences the crowd. He goes down and he says, listen, men, we need to eat because bad stuff's about to happen. But don't worry, all of us will survive. Shipwrecked, of course. 
They all make it to shore as, as was prophesied. Viper jumps out and bites his hand. He shakes it off. Yet again, silences the crowd. They're like, well, we've never seen anything like that. Come to our village. We want you to heal our chief. Heals the chief. The entire village gets saved. I was doing some study the other day. And did you know about 800 years ago, the Maltese started celebrating this shipwreck? They, they, they celebrate the day that Paul was shipwrecked on the island because he brought Jesus to them. 800 years later, can you imagine how many people from one man silencing the crowd and listening to the voice of God, although he was walking through the unknown, God did not pluck him out of the boat and say, you're going to be on dry land while I let everybody else swim. No, you've got to walk with them because they'll respect you. And 800 years later, imagine how many people now know this great name of Jesus Christ because one man said, no, we're going to silence the crowd and we're going to walk in the unknown. Amen? He can do it. The woman at the well is such another great story. I won't take all day on that. We're very familiar with that story, no doubt. But as Jesus sends his disciples into town, he's sitting with her at the well. And the very first thing that he does, it's very interesting, the very first thing that he does is begin to place value on her. I wonder how many more people I would reach if I placed value on their life. If the first thing that came out of my mouth made them think, wow, they think I'm valuable. And Jesus did that. And, and of course, we know the story of the lady goes into town and, and to her own uh, self. Man, she had to silence the crowd. Listen, I know that what you think about me. I know what I've done and what I've seen. But listen, I just met somebody. And you've got to meet him. And it was too, so much silence that the people begin to come out. And then the great story goes on until two or three days later, the men and the women of the city say, listen, we believed in him because you said something. Oh, but now we've met him. Now we believe because we've met him, we've seen him. All because Jesus put value into somebody. And who knows what that lady was walking through. She didn't even probably know maybe where she would spend that night at. She had unknowns all around her. But I'm going to silence the crowd. I'm going to depend upon Jesus. And from that, entire towns will get saved. Amen. As I read this scripture, the next thing that I see is that God, that, that God allowed Moses and Caleb and Aaron, they all remembered. They remembered what God, or excuse me, they remembered who God is and what he says and what he's doing. The children of Israel in the story, though, seem to forget in this passage of scripture. In chapter 14 and number verse 2, they start complaining. Ever been around people who complain? Some people just find stuff to complain about, right? Okay, we got to guard ourselves. I'm just, you know, sometimes I get to complain and God's like, no, we don't do that. Okay? By verse number three, now they go from complaining to we're victims. They, they, in just one verse, they've adopted this victim mentality. He just delivered you and now all of a sudden we go back to victims. So they're dealing with some heavy stuff here. And then by verse 4, they're like, dude, these leaders are horrible. Vote them out. Anybody else wants to lead us? Let's go. They go from complaining to being victimized to like, dude, I don't know about these leaders. Anybody know some people like that kind of stair step, right? So this thing's escalating really fast. But yet again, they get up and they silence the crowd. And they don't just silence them to keep them quiet. What they do is in verses 7, 8, and 9, we begin to see it. The land we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. They brought them back to what they had been told before. In verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Once again, remember God said he was going to give it to us. 
a land which flows with milk and honey. Now he's getting down into their level, into their vocabulary that they've heard. Listen, it is everything that God says. It is remember what he said, remember what he did, remember what he said we can have. I think about that old song, he'll do it again. You guys remember that? I may not know how, I may not know when, but if I trust him, he'll do it again. But here we see the children of Israel get it backwards, don't we? They go to the little Lord and the big us. And when we make that transition, the focus turns to us. And here the leaders are trying to say, no, let's put it back on God. Remember what he said. It's the little us and the big Lord. We see it with Pharaoh. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, dude, the I am has sent me. And then he has 10 different opportunities of legit, miracle, weird things that happen. Okay, maybe the first one you could explain by something weird, but 10 of them later, come on now. But he is so headstrong. And it brought me back to that scripture in 1 Corinthians 1.18, where Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what a wonderful word picture as they sit at the base of the Red Sea. And to two, two separate people, we have the Israelites and we have the Egyptians, and they're looking at the same cloud, at the same God. And for one that will not surrender to it, to them it is their folly, it is their destruction, it is their death. Oh, but to the children of God who look at it and say, we need you, you are our salvation. To them, it is life and power. See, your back's against the wall. Oh, be ready because God has put you in a place where he can show off. That's what he's doing. My, my, back, my back's against the wall. I don't know which way to move, God. It doesn't seem like I can pay that bill. I, man, my, 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 my relationship with my kids is just it's growing. It's harder my husband. Well, listen, keep trusting God as he walks you through the unknown because as we back up into a corner, God's getting ready to do a miracle. If we will stay strong and believe in him, if we will look towards that salvation and say, that's the power of God. It will not be my folly. I will surrender to it. Oh, check this out. In Psalms 46 and 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength. A very, listen, a very present help. A very present help. When is he present? When is he helping? In times of trouble. Oh, it's easy to see him, right? Whenever things going well, we know that. But according to the Bible, whenever trouble comes upon me, whenever calamity comes upon me, especially when I have nothing to do with it, God says, "Oh, listen, just because I, just because you think that you're absent from something, doesn't negate the presence of the Lord. Just because I see the absence of the miracle, doesn't mean His presence is gone." Because he is a very present help in time of trouble. He's getting ready to show off. Sometimes if we remember what God is and who he is and what he's done, this book of Solomon declares that he is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, altogether beautiful and wonderful. The second epistle of Peter in Revelation states that God is the bright and morning star. Elohim, he's God, judge, and creator. El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our complete peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He is creator, deliverer, and he is the way maker. Oh, I love the great words of Dr. S.M. Lockridge. That's my king. Oh, do you know him? That's my king. Because see, when I'm going through the unknown, I begin to journey. And I begin to journey from looking up and saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
to now I've experienced some stuff with him. Yeah. Now he's, he's brought me out of some messes that I maybe got myself into. He's delivered me when my back's up against the wall. When I couldn't pay the bill, there was no way that this was going to happen. All of a sudden, he sent some money. When my kids would not act right and they would not respond, all of a sudden they had a vision or a dream or God spoke to them. And I move from God, where are you? To that's my king. And even better, now I begin to, do you know him? Because let me tell you about him. <laughs> I, I got to tell you about my journey. I got to tell you, it was scary and he didn't take me out, but he never left my side. I know who holds my hand. That's my king, amen? I got to remember, remember. David Ponder is a fictional character. He's in the book of Andy Andrews that uh, he, he authored. It's a traveler's gift. In this book, he wakes up on the Santa Maria, and really the, the essence of the book is that they're going to teach you seven ways that you can engage your life and make it better. And on this one, he, he talks to Christopher Columbus, and in the book he's talking to him, and Christopher Columbus tells him, he says, listen, you have to have a decided heart. You have to decide heartily that you're not going to go back. They use the example of being out on sea for 40 days and they only have like 10 or 12 days of rations left. And if they turn back, it would certainly create their calamity, their death and their destruction. But we have to have a decided heart that we're going to go find this new route. And they're up at the top of the crow's nest, which is in the main mast, and they're trying to find land. And he's up there with David. And he looks around and David says, well, where's the land, Christopher? Where's, where's the land, Captain? And they wait a minute and they wait two minutes. Then they wait three minutes before they know it's been ten minutes. And he finally looks at his captain and he says, where's the land? He goes, son, today you won't be able to find uh, the land looking out the bow of the ship. If you're going to find land today, you've got to look into my eyes because I already know it's there. Whose eyes are we looking into? Are we looking into the eye of the storm? Or are we looking into the eye of our Savior? Because that will determine everything, Right? Our Savior determines the outcome. Amen. Our actions and I get all that. But if I will continue to look at the eyes of my Savior and not the, not the eyes of the storm, I go from a stationary uncertainty position to charting my course. Because I know it's out there. See, I've been looking in the right eyes. I've been silencing the crowd. I've been remembering who He is and His provisions. Amen. I think another thing that I see that these guys do, these leaders do, they're very authentic. And I think the world is just looking for authentic Christians, man. That's the reason why I come to Ray of Hope, because I think there's a whole bunch of you guys here. I'll be honest, man. How's your day going? Not very well, but the Lord has my back. I love that answer, right? Oh, it's going so good. No, it's not. I saw you changing a flat tire three times yesterday. It's not going good. Eh? Let's be honest, right? And these men, we see that in here. And we all have that because we don't want it to look like, like we're not faith, like we don't have any faith, right? Like, well, if I say, listen, God didn't pluck any of these guys out of situations. He made them walk through it. It was their responsibility to have faith as they walked through it, amen? And then God was going to show up and deliver them. I'm going to float, let me think about it, I'm going to float on a piece of wood to shore. I was watching a little documentary the other day on the, on the Malta scene with Paul, and they actually cast out four anchors, and they believe they found those. And they actually cast out four, and, the, and it's so violent, it tears the ship apart. And then they're going to, and they run the ship aground. I mean, it is a tragic thing, you know. It's a PTSD type stuff, probably, you know what I mean? Like jumping off of stuff, and, and, but Paul comes out in calm, and he comes out in calm. Here in this next scripture that we see that he's being authentic, though. In Numbers 14 and 9, it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. 
for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I love it that, that, the, that the writer here doesn't say, hey, these guys are small. Don't no, he doesn't say that. This is what his instructions are. Do not fear and do not rebel. God has planted a plan in your heart. He's given you a vision and a desire. Listen, do not rebel against it. Do not rebel against it. It might look scary. It might look crazy. But do not rebel. Do not back up. God did not make us to... to we, don't, we weren't made with the reverse, okay? We weren't. We were made to press forward. Do not rebel and do not think he can't be faithful. Amen? Yes, it's true. It does look scary and the guys are big and there's different things like that. But God, but God, but God, but God has promised us. Amen? Moses says the same thing in Exodus 4 and 10. Sometimes we look at it as an excuse, but I think he was just being authentic with God. I'm slow of speech and slow to tongue. Then what did God say? Okay, I'll equip you. I'm going to give you Aaron. Excuse over. And this is what's cool because in Ephesians 4 and 12, it talks about how God equips us. And I don't think he just equips us because he wants to. He equips us because he loves it. If you read in verse number 10 up there at top, it says that the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens. And it talks about Jesus being that person. And in verse 11, it talks about how he gave himself. He only gives to those he loves, to those he has a plan for. Amen? He gave himself. And he didn't just give, but he gives to those who are loved, those who are, those are called by his name. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul's writing here and he goes, Listen, guys, you are fragile jars of clay. Earthen vessels. He said, I am too. Matter of fact, you see it later on in Paul's writings where he says, God, take this thorn out of my side. Three different times. He's raised the dead. He's preached crazy messages. He's saved entire islands, all this stuff. Yet he goes back to God in prayer and he's authentically himself saying, God, take this away. Because he's authentic because he realizes that at the end of the day, we're earthen jars of clay. And God has chosen that to, to, to house his spirit in. Oh, man, what a privilege. Think about how powerful that is. The Spirit of God used to live in the Ark of the Covenant, right? And people would, would monitor it and guard it and carry it into battle and these different things like that. And that same Spirit that lived within the Ark, that when people opened it, it would kill them without permission and, and, and they would worship it and honor it, is the same Spirit that lives inside of us. That's where we get our power from. The Christian, we got to walk worthy of it. Bring your authentic prayers. Bring your, your faults and failures. I heard a story about a pastor the other day. He was, he was saving up some money. And this was back early on in the 60s or 70s. It was hard to come by. He mowed lawns or whatever he could do to raise money. Because he wanted to buy his mama a jacket. Anybody ever want to buy your mama something, right? We love our mamas. He wanted to buy her a jacket. And he's just a young boy. So he, he takes this coat and he puts it on layaway. And of course, it's 40 or $50, and he's getting paid 4 or $5 for this, 4 or $5 for that, two or three here. And he's putting it on layaway, and it takes him a long time to get it paid off. Oh, but he is so happy. The day Christmas rolls around, he's got it in this beautiful box, and he gives it to his mom, and his mom's just so proud. They open the box to see what's inside. And of course, it's the leather jacket that he's worked so hard to save for. And when they look at it, they see a blemish. And he gets so embarrassed. He gets so embarrassed. And he tells his mom, I'm sorry, these type of things. But of course, his mom is proud. She says, don't worry about it. It's okay. Well, they take it out of the box and fold it. When they do, they see a tag. 
And the tag simply reads, don't let the blemish fool you. It just proves its authenticity. And whenever we go to God with our blemishes, with our imperfections, don't let it fool you. It's just proving your authenticity that, God, I'm trying to move from point A to point B, and I cannot do it without you. God's called us to this, to this calling. Would the worship team please come up? Silencing the crowd, reminding ourselves who God is, and walking in authenticity. It's going to help us navigate the storm that we're going through. Paul talks in Ephesians 4, right where he says he's equipping us. He says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. The other day I was thinking about that, and that's what gave me the riding the pine analogy that I mentioned earlier. That I'm not worthy to be a Christian. We already know that. But God so loved us <laughs> that he sent his only son. But what is worthy is the calling that he's bestowed upon my life. And whatever I have to sacrifice for that calling, it's worth it. Whatever I have to give up, maybe I have to walk away from some family. I heard a, a wonderful story of a Muslim young man who, who turned to Christianity and everything that he had to give up to be a Christian. It's worth it. Whatever I've got to say no to, whatever I've got to embrace, it's not that I am worthy, but the calling that I'm seeking after is worthy. That calling of being a Christian, amen. Would you bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.